Well, we're continuing now, we're continuing in part two of counsels and thoughts for the spiritual life of believers. And again, if you haven't got a copy of this book, we do think we still have some in the, available in the bookstore. Um, Sovereign Grace um, Christian Books, rather Solid Ground Christian Books, not Sovereign Grace, Solid Ground Christian Books puts it out. But it's a very, uh, it's been a real blessing going through it. Uh, this morning, out of pa part two, we're going to cover chapters eight and 11. Eight and 11. Um, and as Stephen had mentioned already, um, part two addresses the spiritual conflict in the inner life. Well, beginning with chapter eight, it's, this chapter is entitled, Concerning Dissatisfying Experiences. Concerning Dissatisfying Experiences. Well, these dissatisfying experiences now, they're trials. That's what they are. They're trials. They're, they're testings of our faith. Now, I like the way he, he simply describes it as a dissatisfying experience. Because sometimes these testings are small. And really the most often the testing that we do face, if we think about it, that which tests our faith, is typically on the smaller side of things. Now, certainly big things are dissatisfying, but it, typically on the smaller side of things, like you know, family disagreements in the house, losing your cool temporarily, right? Uh, the slow leaking tire on top of the slow leaking refrigerator. Um, you know, those things that seem to just just pile up on top of each other. Not necessarily urgent, but they. They weigh us down. They weigh us down as they, they pile up. Well, these are relatively small in nature compared to some of the bigger problems that we deal with in life. Well, the author, Thomas More, he begins by reminding us in chapter 8 of the deceitfulness of our, of our own hearts. Now, he starts there because... Often when we encounter a dissatisfying experience, whatever that may be, we, we tend to look inward first for counsel. So we, unfortunately, that's what we tend to do. But he reminds us that our heart is deceitful, right? It's a deceitful above all things. It's deceitful, and we, what do we need to do? We need to be looking outside of ourselves for that strength, for that counsel that we so desire, and the wisdom we need in those experiences. We, we need to be looking to Christ uh, and prayerfully pondering his word. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing it regularly so that we're not some dry sponge that not able to to act in, in wisdom you know a conscience is a good thing it's given by God and we should um, we it's not wise to to hold convictions that go against your conscience unless we know it's sinful right and your mind needs to be renewed but if you haven't been walking with the Lord and you're you've been a dry sponge for a long time it's not always the wisest thing to trust your conscience on a matter. 
You need to be regularly in the word being sharpened. And that's just a, a little sidetrack right there real quick. But we need to be looking outside of ourselves. We need to be looking to Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he devoted a small chapter to just understanding the, the, the impact of certain experiences that they have on our lives and how they can be small and how they can be also great. Uh, it's good counsel, I think, to be reminded of really the very practical nature of our faith because that's what's being engaged here and it is practical uh, this is instruction on the practical reality of a sanctified life you know this period between conversion and death this period of our life of sanctification you know so much depends on what you truly believe not just what comes out of your mouth but with what you believe in your heart Hebrews 11 verse 6 says and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him that means you're that he exists who he is what he said he's going to do, what he has done, how he rewards those who seek him, what is it that he's given in his great gospel? What does obedience look like? His faithfulness to the end and, and the reward of the saints. We must believe these things. But the problem is that, you know, it starts, this, the problem starts to, to arise when you don't understand the means that God uses to shape you more and more into the image of Christ in our sanctifying life. In 1 Peter 1, verse 7, the apostle writes, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, right, trying to go test your faith to see if it's genuine, right? For the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not tested by easy, uh, easy things and rewards, but tested by fire. Sometimes it, it seems how few of us truly understand this. And I'm referring to us believers. You know, what happens is that for many, they, they go about day after day feeling downcast, depressed, you know, not clinging to much hope of victory. Not victory now or, or victory later. You know, walking around as if They don't really understand what they've been saved to, let alone saved from. Well, the author, he reminds us that this just simply must not be. This ought not to be. Not for the Christian. That this is not the spiritual experience that we are called to in the New Testament. Though too often it is the experience of real believers. I think one of the hardest things we do are 
we struggle with is reconciling that. This is what should be happening. This is who you are, and yet these are the experiences that you're really feeling and having. Why is that happening in our life? Why does it continue to snowball in some ways? You know, what do these dissatisfied experiences, whether small or large, what do they do? Well, what they, what they seem to do is hide Christ. Hide, they seem to hide Christ from the person. They, they can't see him. They feel they, they can't feel them, feel him. But truly, has he gone anywhere? He has not. Rather, he seems gone only because you're not, you're, you're not looking for him. You're not looking to him. You are so f- often what the issue is, not always, but often what the issue is, you're so focused on just looking at that dissatisfying experience. And that's where the problem begins. You stop looking to Christ and you can only see your problems. Well, these dissatisfying experiences that God himself He does this in his sovereignty, who directs them into our lives. These are meant to do us good in the long run. That's the truth we believe. It's in scripture. We're quick to say it. At times, I wonder if we truly believe it. It's probably one of the first things that we must remember and believe, that God has good purposes for these problems. Well, when we, when we stop looking to Christ, what happens to our faith? It weakens, right? Often it fails with faithlessness. And you may begin to, the believer, the real believer, at this point may begin to doubt sincerity to Christ. Because you see so many failings within. You know, sins within your hearts, and and sadly, they occasionally find their way to the surface to be experienced and seen by others. And, sadly, you can be tempted to be content to simply hide those evils within. Just so long as others, what they see is a good story. I think that's rampant throughout many churches in the land. But even in this, even in this, the believer recognizes the hypocrisy and therefore question the truthfulness of their profession. And they become more and more downcast. The only way that some have learned to deal with this is Again, a a contentedness, a contentment to just be that way. You know, finding yourselves succumbing again and again to these same temptations over which you have sincerely confessed before God. Again, making you doubt the seriousness of your profession. Really realizing for yourself after some time that the love that you're supposed to feel it's not there that's what you feel the love that a redeemed sinner should be feeling 
You tell yourself, I, I don't have that. It eats at you. The, the holy things of God, you know, scripture and prayer. The, the love for others. The deep desire to participate and enjoy these things is lacking. Sometimes you can't even recall how long it's been since you've felt the warmth for such a zeal for holy things. And again, it makes you doubt. It makes you doubt your effectiveness for the kingdom of Christ. And you question yourself as you look around at others that appear to be joyful in all things, making you feel like what, what's the use of fighting against the flesh? Making you more agreeable to feel contentment in a stagnant spiritual life. You know, again, this is where the author says, brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. This is not the spiritual experience we've been called to in the New Testament. You know, spending dedicated time in prayer in the reading of God's word, but, but feeling like it's a chore. You know, giving little thought to the power and the means of grace that God has apportioned to it. You know, the author, he argues that you would be inclined to not do it at all. You know, but your conscience doesn't allow you to just not do it. So you, what do you do? You continue to do it, but you know you feel like you're just going through the motions. I, I don't know if that describes the situation for whatever percentage of people are here. It's going to be a mixed thing. Live long enough as a Christian, though, you will face times like this. You will. You know, these dissatisfying experiences, not being handled correctly with the proper understanding of God's purposes, you know, letting them pile up, you know, exercising but a weak faith, and it will lead to a slow fizzling out of a joyful spiritual life. They're leaving you in a long, dry season. The counsel that he gives here and, and the guidance that I think is real helpful in this chapter is that, frankly, we, beloved, we need to be reminded of the nature of faith. Faith exists in the unseen, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of the definition of it. it. It exists in the unseen because if we could see it, if we could touch it and feel it, well, we wouldn't need faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, what's it say? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It exists in the unseen. By nature, we don't like that. These dissatisfying experiences, again, whether they're small or large, 
They make us exercise faith. Something contrary to our sinful nature. Not a faith in, in what we can handle. Not a faith in, in someone else to handle something for us. Not a faith in any resources. We have only but faith in Christ. You know, trusting in Christ is trusting that he has conquered sin and death. That is, he has secured these promises for you that are given in Scripture. That he has been victorious over Satan. That he has been victorious over the world. And we exist in him. That's where we find, that's where the believer finds his true existence, in him. And in doing so, we enjoy these victories. These victories, what do they include? They include God's purposes his purpose is even through painful, dissatisfying experiences that he has a reason for directing them into our lives, even though we cannot see it. Again, faith existing in the unseen. My family and I, we've been going through the book of Revelation in our, uh, in our time of, of worship, and there are places in there, if you recall, where there are some very, very difficult circumstances or that are ordained, ordained for the world um, to experience or has been ordained and has experienced already. And, and as believers live in opposition to the world, they become targets of persecution. Even great persecution, right? We, we, I think most of us understand this and know it. And regarding the persecution of the saints there that we read in Revelation, Scripture says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. I have always found this to be very sobering. These dissatisfying experiences, Thomas More calls them, they test our faith. That's what they do. And some of them are great enough to test our endurance along with our faith. It's by God's design that these things happen. It is. You know, the author here in the, in the chapter, Thomas More, he desires that his readers, that they wake up to this reality if they have fallen asleep in some stagnant contentment. To endure, we must always be looking to Christ and reading our Bibles in sincere prayer taking advantage of, the, again, those means of grace that God provides, seeing the necessity and the, the great need that we have for them. Again, understanding our sinful natures that even resist faith, we must take advantage of these, the means of grace God provides. Yeah, so we need to be always looking to Christ 
We must not just be consumed with the problem we're experiencing. Now, I want to give an example here. Um, you know, when we get angry, when we get angry because of some injustice that was, we've witnessed or experienced for ourselves, that anger should not drive us to sin, but to action, good action, an action that seeks God's will in rooting out a solution. You know, anger can, it, it can serve us in such a way if we are practicing self-control. Be angry, yet do not sin. Well, similarly, you know, these dissatisfying experiences, they are meant to serve us, to seek God's will also, you know, to go to him, to acknowledge him in all our ways instead of leaning on our own understanding, instead of looking inward for our own counsel. That, my friends, that is truth, faith, and action. Truth, faith, and Christ in action. That's what it looks like. So, the next time that you have a dissatisfying experience, which is going to be today, whether it's as an innocent bystander or because of your own doing for some reason, this is an opportunity uh, to do as the apostle commanded, to, to consider the experience as an opportunity to count it as a joy since it does have a divine purpose in strengthening faith, perhaps strengthening endurance, making more like Jesus himself, who is perfect and complete. But instead, if you rather let bitterness and the hate of the world consume you, you know, incessant complaining about the unfairness of the world, you know, giving up to resigning to be content, making, as C.S. Lewis kind of put it, making mud pies instead of making sandcastles, then there will be no strengthening of the faith, no making more of endurance. It'll just be another wasted experience. Beloved, the next time you spend time with the Lord, do this. Thank him. Thank him for his divine providence that he can powerfully make dissatisfying experiences a fruitful thing because they're, they're going to happen. But he can make them a fruitful thing. The Christian life truly is a win-win situation for those who endure to the end. So, it was a very short chapter 8. Very good reminder, I think, about how we should be looking at these things. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm covering chapters 8 and 11, skipping 9 and 10, because... Um, well, chapter 11, it's a brief chapter. Um, it's called The Influence of Little Things. Um, it goes really well with what we've already covered in chapter 8. In chapters 9, nine and 10, I'll, I'll comment on it later. But chapter 11 is the influence of little things. You know, dissatisfying experiences are often but little things. Trifles is what he calls them in chapter 11. 
trifles. Um, More notes, Thomas More, he notes that our our lives are usually made up of so-called trifles. Some days are worse than others, aren't they? Yep. Uh, Trifles, which he argues, you know, actually serve what he calls God's disciplining servants. God's disciplining servants, these trifles. Uh, The discussion goes, again, along very well with what we've talked about already. Well, he recognizes, um, as I'm sure you all do, that these day-to-day trifles that we experience, they're relative. You know, what would be a deal stopper uh, of a trifle to some people is just a minor nuisance to others. If, for example, if I know that I'm going to encounter spiders as I go to work in a crawl space, that's a deal stopper for me, okay? (laughs) Nothing else is happening. But for a select few, it's, it's as harmless as just getting your clothes dirty. But for some who have been trained by endurance, been trained by this, for example, the loss of a job, man, that's just an opportunity to trust the Lord in the next adventure. God bless them. But for others, it's, it can be a crippling defeat. That takes much time in seeing that Christ should be his or her confidence. You know, what often do you hear? Well, you just got to have confidence in yourself. That's what you're lacking. Man, I, I want confidence in the Lord, knowing that he's got it covered. But for some, you know, that experience just, it's much harder. Some trifles are small, some are big. And perhaps you've experienced that sometimes those greater trifles, those greater things are are easier to endure because you more readily recognize that the solution, if there is any solution, is simply to, it's out of your hands. You can't do anything about it. And you more quickly take that anxiety to Christ and you share it with friends that you trust. Your house burns down. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> More comments. He talks, he says, great things, great things because of their very greatness, they don't always reach the lower depths of our being. Just as too great a, a rush of water fails readily to fill the narrow-necked vessel, whereas little things like continuous driblets reach down deeper and bring to the surface hidden things to our great humbling of soul before God. Well, him describing greater trifles as something as a rush of water going over a narrow-necked bottle. You know that to effectively fill a bottle of water, what you have to let a gentler stream come over it. You know, it's going to just shoot across. It's just going to get a little bit in there. You need a, a gentler stream to come into it. Um, so that it fills it up, right? Well, it's, it's often the slow, slow piling up of the smaller trifles of life left unaddressed that bring a, a slow building bitterness of some sort. It eventually can cause you to hate indiscriminately. You just hate the world, right? It affects everything. You hate things. You you hate things about people that in your right mind 
you would not entertain these things. The bitterness has got the best of you. You've been blinded by it. You've been blinded slowly enough that you may not even recognize that it's there. Praise God for faithful, gentle friends. But where did, it, where did it start? How did it even happen in the first place? Well, friends, as he counsels here in his book, it happened because you began to avert your eyes away from Christ, from the founder of your faith, the one person who can make good out of evil. You know, these, these small trifles left unattended, it's kind of like watering your garden. You know that it's the slow, steady drip that better makes its way down into the root system to eventually bring forth a more hardy plant above the soil. Likewise, but in a negative sense, these small trifles that we ignore, we don't confess and repent of and and take to Jesus for wisdom. The wisdom needed to recognize these things. These small trifles, they can burrow in our hearts and eventually bring about above the soil an ugliness, an ugliness for others to see, even though you may not be able to see it yourself. Dissatisfying experiences and the influence of little things. You know, God in his infinite goodness and power, he has divine purposes for them. Hallelujah. You know, thankfully and mercifully, with or without our faithful participation, he will have them serve us for a good purpose in the end. But why wait? for heaven to rejoice in their effects. We're called to an abundant life even now. That's the New Testament ex spiritual experience that we've been called to live to. Why spend your sanctified life consumed by dissatisfaction and, and stunt your sanctification? That is, that is offensive to God, who has again called you to this abundant life by finding your meaning and being in Christ alone. So, let's resolve today that we will begin to com combat the small and the great dissatisfying experiences, these trifles, whether big or small, that we will combat them with a faith that keeps a prayerful eye on the Lord, praying to believe more and more what you read in Scripture. And as you're dealing with these things, brothers and sisters, keep praying. You know, we've mentioned it times again and again. I need to remind myself this again and again. Keep praying until you're praying. God knows what you're going through. Why don't you just pour it out to him? But continue to do so. Be that, that nuisance to the judge that that woman was in Scripture who finally made him give in. But thankfully, we serve a righteous and kind God. We don't have that evil judge as an example. But keep knocking on the door.
even that, even that is a dissatisfying experience that God is using. He's teaching you to wait upon him. He is testing your faith. Something to rejoice in for the endurance that it, it produces. Because you know deep down he has everything taken care of. Even the most horrible things that we can experience, God has a purpose for them. I know that's hard to see, but it's the truth. Well, next week, God willing, I'm going to go back and cover chapters 9 and 10 uh, that address the danger of being led by our feelings and the danger of a divine.